0: Well, um, I think we're going to kick off, alright. So I will be waiting for uh, Erisa to join us a little bit later. Um, okay. Uh, evening, afternoon, morning, everyone. Thanks for joining for the second episode. Uh, from here, from the forum, we present everyone a very rare opportunity to learn and hear directly from the founders, uh, the project themselves, including product, uh, community, uh, tokenomics, and campaign. Event. So this round. Uh, the second episode, we are very hyped to partner with 7x and Eraser team to co-host it. Um, he's onboarding this uh, space right now. So I-, I will ask him to introduce him later. So also, we actually confirmed the six Sprint project and their founders speaking with us today. And they are Tom from Bronze Labs.
1: Oh, okay. sorry yeah i'm here hello everybody great to be
0: here thanks tom for joining us you know it's amazing and we have a uh, phil from AI drive and the AIO.
2: hey everyone thanks for the intro howard thank you bro for joining us
0: and we have alex from aurora and uh yeah alex you can introduce yourself
3: hey everybody it's me here alex from aurora as you said
0: fully correct <laughs> <laughs> so, where are you basing actually? Uh,
3: uh, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the road. I'm Ukrainian guy. Uh, we used to live uh, with the family in Kharkiv, and now we are escaping the war. So right now, yeah, right now my family is uh, is in Germany, and I'm halfway uh, to to Lisbon half... from Germany. So, okay, okay. So, yeah. yeah, we are going to end up in Lisbon.
0: Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a really terrible thing happening with the, you know, the war there. So. And also, we have a uh, uh, Sherlock, you know, from Mason.
4: Yeah. Hey, thanks, Howard. Sherlock here. Sherlock from Mason Network. And yeah, we are building a, a a marketplace. So yeah, this <laughs> it, <it's> us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's been the sixteenth episode, you know, for all this uh, creator space hosted by uh, Sherlock and uh, made together. And uh, now we have been upgraded to to founders forum for some of the really um level space with all the founders you know. So and we actually be um, waiting for Nick from the centology and uh, uh, I think medical here is connecting. I can I can so I can see him is uh, you know connecting with us. But yeah. So today, you know, the the forum our topic is a uh, decentralized uh, networks. So I, I hope this event will help us understand deeper why you know decentralized network is very important, how we build it, and how we scale it. So this will be our good discussion content uh, for this space. So um, we actually have uh, two phrases, you know, two parts of this space. The first one will be the general questions. And the second one will be tailored question for the project, you know, itself. So for the general questions, actually, the, the first question is that, um, you know, for the every founders here. So I wanted to understand. So uh, what encourages you to build a decentralized network, and what's the reasons behind it? Um, anyone, you know, if I don't, I don't want to do, you know, put that in order. But everyone has something to say. Just feel free to share.
1: Sure, I, I just uh, spoke about this the other day. It's um at DevConnect in Amsterdam. So I'm sort of prepped for that. So I'm happy to go first. I guess the way I think about it a little bit is that if you take a long sort of, you know, look at history, you know, every large, the larger companies get, the more ingrained they get with governments. And that was true going to railroads, to oil and gas companies, to wherever you, every, any sector you want to look at. And it's also true kind of most um, impactfully for us right now with web two companies, whether it's Google, Facebook, Amazon, um kind of you know you, you name it and so those companies can't help but engage with governments and they serve as a very um easy and obvious point of um of censorship um and what, it can be explicit it can be implicit but that is a it was sort of never had as easy a place for um government control than we have in the sort of dominant web 2 kind of oligopolies or monopolies that exist And it's also true of the infrastructure where 60% of the cloud is hosted about by like three companies and you end up with, you know, increasing levels of centralization there, which both impede um, creativity and development and also lead to, uh, you know, ever kind of increasing risks of human failure as well as equipment failure. And so for both resilience reasons and censorship resistance reasons, um, are kind of the, the the sort of central components for what's driving me and and what's driving Fluence to build a peer to peer compute platform, um, because we view peer to peer as payments, which has largely been solved. Host um, storage, which is you've got Filecoin and Arweave and others doing a terrific job, but the compute piece is largely centralized. And until you can decentralize and make truly peer to peer computation, you still run the risks of this. Um, of decentralization. And so we're trying to help build a fully peer-to-peer world with compute being kind of, you know, our, our contribution to it.
4: Yeah, I also want to share my uh, opinion because when first, uh, super early stage, I want to uh, build our startup, the missing network. So I, I actually don't want to build something like decentralized network because uh, the problem I met uh, was trying to solve the problem of the long tail part. If we can find a new way to integrate or aggregate the long-term resources. And after doing a lot of research, I found, okay, uh, protocol and standard. We're building a protocol, building a standard and spread all around the world. And during that pattern, we can build something to very efficiently uh, aggregate resources. And then we found okay, if we need to build this protocol, we need to let the network be fully decentralized and have something like token to incentivize for, for the system cost. If you use the bottom model, you, you try to serve the long readers And if you are using the centralized network, OK, the things no not, not work, right? So that's the first stage. And second, after we uh holding or building the things, I noticed one very important cause, you know, last year, uh, I remember October last year, the, the loss of uh, surveys just go down for a few hours, even like Facebook. So it, it affects like WhatsApp, like uh, the, the Facebook Messenger and Instagram. So then I think, okay, so w- w- what true trades in the decentralized network? Uh, maybe if we can build something that can be stopped by like anyone or any system or any entity, so we're just building something they can run by themselves. And maybe just one day if some of the nations or, or, or humankind they, they, they have left left these countries or the planet, the system is still working and maybe be bring to another planet. So that's why I think uh, I need to build a new thing and it's a decentralized network, which can be easily lost. Yeah, th- that's my answer.
3: Um, to add to what Tom was saying. Um, uh, like the mental model in my head um, uh, about the value um, of the decentralization and uh, blockchain um, um is uh, uh, is the following, so I think I think that decentralization and, and blockchain and DLT or whatever it is, uh, is just the means of solving the problem of trust, right? So we we know lots of inefficiencies in the world uh, because of trust issues, uh, like lots of lawyers, very complicated contracts, uh, uh, you know, uh, lots of friction, and bureaucracy, and stuff like that. So all of these things um they are there in our world it's just because of the trust issue so if we would be if we would manage to find a place where everybody can trust each other and they know that uh, like literally other counterparties are not able to to fuck with them uh, sorry for my french i'm, a, I'm in france <laughs> right now so um uh, if, if we can find this place um Uh, then processes may be much and much more efficient. Uh, And from that point of view, uh, the blockchain is just one of the ways, a very good way, from my point of view, how to achieve this, how to to build this uh, that is full of trust of the participants. So, yeah, my mental model is just to fight inefficiencies of this world. And because of this, uh, make people uh, super empowered, actually. Um, and uh, make them able to do m- much more things uh, within their lifetime.
2: Yeah, and I think for for me, kind of following on to what you guys said, like what brought me into the space was, you know, this of uh, more resilient and, and decentralized infrastructure that uh, meets a variety of needs and is runnable and accessible all around the world by anyone in kind of this uh, uh, this trustless environment. Um, and, you know, what we're building with RIO is very much going to be a part of this new kind of Web3 uh, infrastructure. Um, but what really encouraged me to kind of do what we're doing with our drive um, was to take all this kind of magical blockchain stuff and make it easy enough for anybody to just pick up and use. Um, and I think, you know, that was really what, what drew me to it. I, I see so many you know phenomenal teams building like really powerful technology, um, but there's still a long way, I think, for it to go before... Commonplace in everyone's phone and everyone's uh, workstation, and um, yeah, that's what encourages me to to really get the message of, of our Drive and, and permanent storage out there.
4: Yeah, how are your
2: turn? <laughs> I could keep talking. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can keep talking to you.
3: I can actually comment on the um, on the on the piece about uh, uh, the speed of bringing blockchain into the into every phone. But from my point of view, uh, this is this is exactly the thing that we need to that we need to achieve. Um, Chain is lacking mass adoption uh, from 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 my point of view from two sides. One side is you know just explaining the thing. To people, because things are super complicated, right? In case, in case uh, a five-year-old child is, is incapable of understanding the thing, then it means that this is not a major use case and it's not going to get a, a vast adoption. This is on one hand. On the other hand, obviously there is a problem of scalability. If you want to host tens of people on the, some kind of blockchains, probably would mean that this is not a single blockchain. Um, uh, then we need to have that scale. So this. These are very, very big problems. Uh, and like, as a blockchain community, we need to solve this. Uh, but uh, uh, ultimately, the goal is the right one. I believe. You know, one, one comment just to, just to jump in on that a
1: little bit, and I think this is a, a messaging that I kind of have a particular kind of focus on, is that I think a lot of right now people conflate um, blockchain with decentralization with peer to peer, but we should remember the very first decentralized application um, had nothing to do with blockchain whatsoever. Right, it was Napster, first one that scaled, and so peer to peer existed before blockchain and it exists kind of with and in parallel to blockchain. And I mentioned because probably one of the most used Web three applications out there is probably. Um, Filecoin, in terms of kind of most metrics, I think you look at, or maybe if you look at, and and that is not stored on blockchain. It uses blockchain and token economics to um, authenticate and to reward people, but it is not on chain, so to speak. And so I just want to you kind of, and, and I, have a, I have a little, you know, I'm biased on this, but I want to make clear that that peer to peer and decentralized can exist um, and has existed even before blockchain did. Yeah,
4: so uh, Howard, right now, can you uh, speak anything? Or oh, looks like you have some uh, signal problem. Okay, I-, I will take a job uh, from the Howard. Okay, so yeah, guys, uh, I, I got to ask the next question. So if the centralization is an enlightenment movement, so you, the group will be very uh, proactively embracing all the changes uh, and the future trends, or it is a pass- passive process? So this is a question. Uh, Phil, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm glad that question is, you know, is around decentralization uh, of being like an enlightened movement. Because uh, going back to what you're saying, Tom, right? Like blockchain and decentralization, is like, yeah, they're related, but there's other things, other peer-to-peer technologies that don't use blockchain at all, right? That are still uh, decentralized. Um, so for for us, yeah, we try to embrace Know, this kind of decentralized methodology as as best as we can, right? Whether that's how we operate uh, in our community um, with, you know, performing governance in our DAO, um, the tokenization of our applications um, and kind of the economics around that, um, how you're, you know, in our case, when you upload your data, right, it's permanently stored on, on our weave. So, of course, that is uh, really embracing the censorship-resistant, distributed uh, nature of, of, uh, of data. Um, and yeah, just a really, community focus i think that's something that you don't see in uh in web 2 and something that very much comes with kind of the this decentralization movement um is about it um you know there's a reason there's like a crypto twitter there's no like web 2 sas twitter right um it's it's you know people are really passionate about it there's lots of unsolved challenges so yeah we embrace you know the the community aspect of of what we're building not just the the technologies behind it um, passively, though, there's still things that, yeah, you have to operate kind of and um, in, in centralized ways, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's always looking at the future and, and trying to become uh, the true decentralized um that's building the decentralized technology as well.
4: Yeah, thanks, Phil. Alex, how's your idea?
2: Well, well from my point
3: of view, the, the movement uh, needs to be, in general, um, because... Um, Actually, people are very, like, we don't have in our nature um, the, um, you know, the, the goal of operating in a decentral manner. The way how great teams are working right now, or great societies, is that they have leaders, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and these leaders are moving things, right? And, uh, for example, the whole world is looking right now at one particular leader that is doing extremely terrible things. Right. And this is just one person. So and there are other other things happening, for example, in Twitter space when one great person is trying to do very cool stuff. Right. So um, from that point of view, the people's nature is is about, you know, finding leaders, even even the countries are even the greatest countries right now or the greatest the way how greatest countries are operating is the democracy, Uh, which means, yes, decentralized elections. Um, hopefully uh, very kind of, you know, truthful elections. Uh, However, after this, uh, there is a very limited amount of, uh, you know, councils or uh, politics that are actually moving the country forward. So um, uh, make a revolution where uh, everybody must do stuff and must must participate in the governance Uh, from that point of view. Um, is it, not something that is uh, that people are really, really used to, and like I'm talking about DAOs, I'm talking about in general the algorithms um, and and designing of these algorithms and so on. So, all of these things are are not that simple. Uh, and from my point of view, just just in order to, to simplify kind of this movement, um, it's better to do it gradual. Um, and I believe almost all of the blockchain projects are coming to this point uh, after after the initial DAO. <laughs> Um, I bet mean, if everybody is uh, thinking that, uh, well, it's pretty hard for this kind of um, um, operation mode uh, to be implemented right here and right now. And that's why there is a there is a period when things are a little bit inclined to the centralized uh, kind of version. Over time, things becoming more decentralized and so on. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Uh, uh,
4: uh, yeah. You can
0: hear me right now.
4: yeah i can hear you however we're talking about the second question and then it's going to talk to to uh uh share with his opinion
1: yeah please stop yeah sorry some opinion on and i didn't fully grasp the question it's on whether decentralization is a process in evolution or whether it has to happen at once i'm not sure i grasped it
4: you can you can check in the TG group so we have attached the, the, the question so if it's decentralized, is an alignment movement. So with a group, like proactive, embracing all the changes, the, the future trends, or it is a passive process. So, so how oh, that? I idea? think
1: it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess you could answer that from a, from a project perspective or a society one, but I think from a project perspective, which are sure the, the easiest one for me to answer first, it is very active because it is hard. And so easy thing to, you know, like to, um, um, um i guess it was alex i think it was um let me get your name right it was uh Linarius, um i think was, was was speaking about leaders and it's very easy to to run a company when you're one person you're doing it and the more people you hire the harder it is and then when you decentralize it, it gets even harder and so i think that is sort of governance becomes an issue when you want to decentralize and be effective and then the technical issues of decentralizing also becomes ours. So I think decentralization is an active process for any, any entity trying to do so. That sort of point. And then for society to adopt it, I think, I'm not sure people will care that much. It's their experience. And will they prefer something that is uh, less centrist and persistent and more resilient? I think they will, but those, those, those have to get built and they have to actually function well and easily. So I think it's actually and 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 the adoption is going to require more work on the part of all the founders building all this stuff to be easy and to actually fulfill the promise. So I guess it's super hard work for founders and a very active process, but it should be pretty passive for society and others to adopt it if we do our jobs right.
4: Yeah, uh, I was want to share with my opinion. So. Uh, I, I think right now the, the the projects or the companies they were very uh in, in this stage for example in the 2020 april april 2020 so uh 2022 uh the projects going to be very uh positively to embrace the the, the web 3 cause or the decentralization because uh the, the people or the companies right now they're giant guys and they they know how they come from right we go back to 20 or 30 years ago for example like lots of internet companies or mobile companies or, or the, like the Google AWS that they know how they come from they, they beat anyone else or beat some very giant monsters and to become the, the new one and then they also know the trend that if they don't need if they don't embrace the new futures or the new really uh, something can change the world so they gotta they be lost and will lose the world in the future which means for example if they are listed companies that they, they, their uh, market value will... well, decrease a lot and that's the things how things happen in And so that, that's the first point is they, they will be very proactively embraced the, the changes but but not all the changes but will embrace so the second is how well they uh, really embrace the whole decentralization because you know the world is not uh full of the decentralization right so in some situations or some cases uh the problem c- c- can use the decentralization to to be solved but in other cases, we need to keep in, in centralization, right? For example, if you said, "Uh, when 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 we want to build the the car, the manufacturer should be this fully decentralized." Maybe no, right? So should be Tesla be fully decentralized? No, I, I don't think so for now, right? So I think the the two things gonna be existed, and then for these companies, uh, which is not quite related to the to the decentralization, it, it gonna be a pass- passive process. For example, if they think, okay, I, I don't want to make uh, any changes, it's okay. But if some new, very important or emergency things ha- happen, for example, they, they'll be hacked, right? If you are someone, you, you have an account in the Twitter, uh, I remember yesterday or the, the day before yesterday, the uh, founder of AV, he, he said, okay, uh, break here, I, I will join the Twitter as the entire CEO. Then today he, he said, I can't be suspended. So maybe then people think, okay, uh, we need a decentralized Twitter or anything else. So this is my opinion.
0: Thank you, Sherlock. You know, I think it's some, some sort of our speakers experienced a really terrible experience with the uh, you know, space. So I hope, you know, after, you know, close the deal with Twitter and they can improve the service, it's really terrible. And, uh, okay, since uh, that from 7 probably won't be able to join us. I wanted the, you know, sharing my great work. So our third general question is, uh, Where does decentralized network have an uh, ultimate form? Uh, if so, how are we going to evolve towards this uh, ultimate form, and what it will be looks like eventually?
2: And uh, Phil, can you help me? Yeah. So I think we've um, <laughs> been in the space for, for I guess four years, right? So I feel like it's. I haven't been around long enough to really foretell what the, you know, what the future will hold. Right. But, um, you know, what will it evolve towards? What is that final form? I mean, I think it's, you know, going to focus around like the fact that everything is going to be this open protocol, right? An open network protocol, open data protocols, open source software. I'm just going to connect all these things together. It's not going to be one single chain or one single platform that just wins, that everybody builds on. Um, so, you know, the final form is this multi-chain world where you have, you know, a, a single cryptographic identity that's kind of shifted across these different platforms. So you can sign your data all as that same you know person. Um, you can pay for these services and different kinds of tokens, right? Um, Cause I really feel like either, the whole crypto market and all the technologies that are building that they're either all going to succeed as one or the whole experiment will fail so i think there's yeah going to be many tokens um out there and that's going to continue and uh platforms will accept different, different tokens as as payments um the arweave and, and the permaweb specifically i think the infrastructure is, is evolving now um, to support the different use cases being built, like, you know, the hundreds of teams that are now building on our weave. So whether that's related to SmartWeave or decentralized exchanges, bundlers, gateways, you know, all this infrastructure is, is growing now to support the Per web. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, the you know, the next evolution there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought. Multi-chain world, multi-payments, you know, an identity that can uh, exist across all of
0: them. Uh, Open source, you know, uh, protocols. There's so, so so many, thousands, probably, thousands of different protocols on the market here, right? So, um, I, I think you know the the internet evolution probably will take like um, decades to achieve because uh, right now what we we call that Web two, they took like the almost thirty years to be, uh, to reach this stage. So yeah, I also would like to uh hear Alex' your uh, opinion of this. What's your idea about the uh, you know ultimate for, for decentralized networks, yeah
3: yeah. Yeah, so um um I can I can tell that uh the world shows that uh um that systems where there are multiple participants that are competing with each other where uh, they they embrace the uh, evolution of systems. Um when we have a monopoly, uh then it means that uh, this monopoly is actually going to stop the um uh, development and uh, and uh, New new things are not going to uh, to be appearing there. So I I would wish and I would if if, if somebody is, count, is going to count my vote If somebody is going to count my vote, I will vote for the multi-chain future um, Just because, just from that simple point of view um, uh, it, it will be much much better uh, if we will have many chains because they they're going to compete with each other and go they're going to deliver things faster and faster to the users
0: Multi-chain sounds very good idea. Um, yeah, Phil So Tom um, What's your idea for uh, for the future of this decentralized network and how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean listen, I, I go farther because it depends what you mean by ultimate form and I guess what is a decentralized will a decentralized network have an ultimate form? And so to one extent, the answer is yes, in a very, very basic level in terms of peer-to-peer architecture. But then everything else in terms of is it blockchain? Is it not? Is it what drives the consensus mechanism, is it proof of work, is it proof of stake? You know, what's governance look like? Is governance purely on chain? Is it delegated? Is it not? Right. All of these are are variables and nuances that I think will not um, condense down to one answer in every case by any means. And I think you will have, you know, assuming we mean kind of sort of take the question as somewhat um, literal, there will be many different solutions which, you know, are applicable or real to different use cases and, frankly, different constituencies depending on what they are. And so I, I think we head towards a world, let me back up. We, we, you know, in the 90s, we were in a, in the 80s, in a world of, um, you know, uh, systems that were and, and, and um, processing power that was, and hosting, that was largely done in-house. And then slowly the cloud started to take over. People started moving to the cloud. And that has been a process of a couple decades. And now we have incredibly powerful, very profitable companies running out it's you know my view and i think others here we're moving towards the generation of that is peer to peer which is decentralized and that ultimately we get to a world where peer to peer is the future and that's heavily because of open source it's because of resilience all these reasons but just becoming a decentralized network peer to peer network it doesn't answer your questions about architecture about consensus if it's there about governance etc and i think that's where we will see a great deal of variability that has both application-specific attributes as well as um, governance and kind of community and affinity-related attributes. Yeah. So uh, for, for for this
4: question, uh, I, I don't know if the decentralized network will have an like ultimate form. You know, what was ultimate, right? Uh, but but uh, one thing I'm sure that uh, while we uh, try to use talk something about decentralized uh, or decentralization is uh we think it they can solve some of our problems we have met for like years or several or ten years and we, we met some problem in the in the web 2 or in the mobile or in the internet uh then we think okay when we go into the decentralized network maybe yeah we can solve part of these problems and yeah let, let's just think of the rules are behind all of the things right so, when we using the decentralized network, or maybe if we go into the new world, new era called Web three, so they will have its own pros and cons. And for now, uh, we we just talking about its pros part, right? So, but but it also have lots of cons. So maybe decentralized network ha, ha, will be a new stage in our like uh ten or twenty or fifty years or even hundred years. But in the next stage, we can enter another maybe called network. So in this network, uh people say, okay, I met a problem, I, I, I met lots of problem in decentralized network, and then I can have a solution to, to solve these things, right? This whole how people or, or the world evaluate, right? So, um, I think it can you can define it have an ultimate form, but it will have some form that solve problem, and then it got to be iterated by another thing. That's my answer. Thanks. Yes, Howard, can you hear me?
3: Looks okay. like same problems.
4: Okay again. <laughs> uh okay. So eraser, can you hear me? I see you back again.
5: Hey guys, hey guys. Do you hear uh, me?
4: Wow, yeah, we can hear you, finally. <laughs> all right, all right, finally. Yeah.
5: Sorry about yeah. it. I think it's because of the, like, the storm here happening in Shanghai that causes the network problem. I think it's the same cool. thing happened with Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah. having a storm here. Yeah, okay. sorry about it. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually missed out some of your, you know, bravo's, you know, uh, speaking. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I just want to, you know, you know, not answering the question, but sharing some of my experiences in the past, sure. like how I come, like, enter this space so yeah so basically like uh like uh, i know right now all the speakers here are coming from like projects that's building the decentralized network but i'm from like more kind of vc you know the emo vc <laughs> you know you know uh, uh aspects right but i mean my uh, some actually i i lived in africa i worked in africa for six years so from 2012 to 2018. So actually, that six years actually changed my attitude towards the centralization. And you know, uh, I grew up in China. I have my you know, you know, uh, you know, education in North America. So I never experienced anything cut. You know. Inflation before, so we're all living in a very stable kind of, you know, economic, uh, world, and uh, it's the first time in Africa experiences something called a, ma- a major currency collapse in, uh, especially one in Africa, one uh, in uh, Nigeria, one in Angola. Well, uh, before that, I even have no any doubt for central governments, central banks were, uh, making me you know thinking about what exactly is money so i really believed in money in fiat currency before but it's because of those you know two major you know currency clubs i I, re- I still remember that one happening in nigeria that uh, the naira just got an inflation rate of i i remember it's like 50% something during 3 months yeah 50% of inflation during th- 3 months so basically that actually ruined a lot of normal people's life, uh, especially you know poor people, especially people who actually uh, don't own any kind of assets like the 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 physical assets but money to buy things. I just remember that I, I i we we have some kind of you know um you know business there and the first day we sell this like a car selling right? so we sell this car at a certain amount of money and the next day you have to raise the price for 1.5 times higher than the previous day just in one day in order to you know you know recover the loss of uh, uh, of the currency so basically that actually changed almost everything that i believed in the past tw- uh, 25 years so i started to think about okay what exactly is money so what exactly is is confidence what exactly is trust so yeah so so because, you know, I learned uh, computer science from my undergrad, so basically that's just, I'm very lucky to find the white paper of Bitcoin and Ethereum, so basically I, I, I after I read it, I realized that decentralization is not something that is better for this world, but it's something that is, I would say, mandatory. I would say something that is in need for this world, not just to, you know, add up, add on thing. Or like with decentralization, uh, you, with decentralization, you will live better. No, it's not like that. It's kind of like decentralization is the only way of how the world will go. So I really gotta, you know, full ex- respect to all the builders here. So you know, I I'm not so quite good at building, at, at coding, but I just want to, you know, support the whole, you know, decentralization of this whole new world with, uh, you know, my my capital behind me. So I think that's that's my I, I, some some of the experiences I want to share from my past. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Rosa. Um, I believe you guys can hear me right now. So we have Nick around Decentology, and uh, he's just joining us, you know. Nick, uh, would you like to uh, give an introduction about yourself and uh, the project itself too? Yes,
6: uh, sorry for being late. I kept getting rugged on uh, Twitter. Hi, I'm Nick Kaliani. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Decentology. Uh, what we are doing is making it uh, possible for uh, millions of web developers to get on web3 by making it super simple for them to build up uh, web3 uh, applications via a platform we have created called the hyperverse it's a decentralized and open marketplace for smart contracts uh, it's a really interesting uh, conversation here and i want to jump right into the the last topic we're talking about in terms of you know the actual decentralized sort of infrastructure one of the things that i uh, keep thinking a lot about is is it really possible for us to achieve decentralization at scale when the infrastructure providers, the crowd providers, uh, end up being sort of the choke point, if you will, because all roads lead to them eventually. So until we start seeing sort of these micro uh, cloud companies come up, which are hosting sort of the decentralized infrastructure, we still end up at Amazon or Google or Cloudflare or, or whatever. And that ends up being sort of taking the whole complete decentralization uh, vision out of the 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 mix. So I think that's one one issue. The other issue is also one of the mind. Like uh, it's re- in in our experience, you know, converting uh, even web two developers uh, to building on web three, uh, they're not sure uh, what the core value proposition is. Clearly, we we understand what the value proposition is, but it's a much harder sell for people who are firmly enmeshed. Uh, let's say in the enterprise world in web two, etc. About Well, why should I do it? And they very often conflate uh, sort of decentralization with uh, distributed uh, computing and uh, look at it as just about scale when it is also about control. So those are the kinds of issues that that, uh, I'm thinking of, spending a lot of time thinking of, we are spending a lot of time thinking of. And I think in order for those to be solved, one of the key challenges for us is to make Uh, the whole web three more accessible to ordinary people. And that challenge is a UX challenge. And it's a communication challenge more than a technology challenge. We use so much jargon in uh, the communication that we have about decentralization that most people's eyes glaze over in the first 30 seconds. So we need to learn to speak about what we are doing uh, in very simple language and that will make it more accessible. So I think if we are going to grow and get really decentralized, we got to get more mainstream users and mainstream people involved. And that is a communication problem first, in my
0: opinion. Secondly, I think you uh, get your point, you know, I mean, uh, I got a very interesting um, inquiry for every speaker. So like, you know, we understand OpenSea's build, uh, you know, on the centralized networks, and they have been largest, uh, you know, everything market right now. And quite a few metaverses and gamefi project are also using the centralized infrastructures. But they actually, you know, I mean, doing a lot of, like, the gamify and uh, this stuff, right? So this is quite a conflict. Uh, I wanted to, you know, uh, to know your opinions behind this, you know, how how you think about this, like, the scenarios right now, you know, and uh, how we're going to, if this, like, the big giant players in crypto market, they're going to use, like, the decentralized networks eventually.
6: Yeah, that's a good point. I find it quite embarrassing whenever I go to my OpenSea and I look at the NFT asset and it says Google User Cloud, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is not right. Uh, yeah, so I think the approach is that maybe, maybe we are trying to do this the wrong way. Uh, we are trying to make this a binary transition from Web 2 to Web 3, when really what we should be doing is making a pathway that, to, where there's an in-between, there's a hybrid model where we gently ease the into Web3, because I think just going full board decentralized is just too much, people can't handle it, people can understand it, the infrastructure is not ready. But if we start uh, talking about this narrative, where look, there are there, are, there is this value to decentralization, you don't have to jump into it right away, how about take your Web2 app, and are there components of it that could benefit from being decentralized? And uh, the answer is usually, uh, yes, there are certain components of, of most large-scale apps that could benefit from localization. So maybe we, we, we use that narrative to help get people on board, to help them understand the value proposition and uh, sort of make their way into Web3. I'll give you an e- example. Like there are millions of, uh, of people that have, for example, loyalty cards for various retail businesses, et cetera. And those ro- loyalty cards are typically silos. This is also true of airline miles, et cetera. And there have been lots of experiments and lots of companies in the past that have tried to aggregate them. There's probably some already there now. But that would seem to me like a good application to put on the blockchain and sort of make decentralized. So the the loyalty program itself sort of moves on chain whereas the rest of it doesn't change you know so that's a good segue for people to start understanding the value proposition because now all of a sudden your loyalty points or your airline points are tracked in a single uh, sort of decentralized smart contract and they're easily portable things like that so i think that that could be the way we start getting more and more people uh, into this decentralized world
1: well, well nick this is tom so a couple of things i agree and disagree with but, but one thing you'll find interesting there's a company um actually um, it, uh, it basically is working with a group called the Coupon Bureau. The Coupon Bureau um, is responsible for the issuance of most of the coupons in the United States, which is a couple hundred billion coupons a year. And right now, to your point, loyalty programs, the only way to get digital coupon is via the siloed retailer loyalty areas. So if you can get a Walmart coupon, right, you could get a JCPenney coupon. But what you can't get is Procter and Gamble giving you a coupon for Tide to be used digitally? That is to be used at any retailer. And um, but the Coupon Bureau has just approved the standard for digital coupons, and so shortly you will basically be able to be issued coupons in any digitally that are usable at any retailer. And that's a mass that's going to free up a, a massive amount of, um, of of value, I think, and out these silos. The interesting thing, though. Is the one company has the exclusive ability, at least for co- several years, to have the only wallet which is capable of storing and then using these coupons. So they will be tracked and and um, issued on the, on a block on a blockchain. I think on Hedera, and um, because it's fast and cheap, and they'll be redeemed that way. And that will cut fraud and make things interesting. But the funny thing is, the actual company doing it doesn't have to be open source. It may be a centralized company. It actually is the one that allows and is kind of the catalyst for this coupon world to go digital. And so to your point a little bit, I guess that's kind of one next step, but we're still not at a decentralized um, platform for that. And maybe that will happen sometime, maybe maybe it won't, but I just thought that was sort of a, an interesting kind of um development in the, in the space that you mentioned.
6: Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we, we have to start seeing like, we, we we don't have to always aspire to go full board like this is a good first step uh baby steps you know like uh, it's much much harder to shift the whole world to decentralized uh, as i was saying earlier in like a black and white way i think there's a lot of grays there and we have to be tolerant of that initially even if we are maximalist around decentralization etc we have to be tolerant because that's how the world works the world is not all about like let's just change everything and disrupt everything overnight it's not going to work
1: yeah and the one, the yes, one I- thing i will well, the one the one comment on that though is that, yeah, is it Influence Labs, which is um, and you know, a little bit about what we do. We just our Series A was just led by, by MultiCoin. We got 1KX and kind of um, Tiger Global a bunch of people in it. We are building and have built a peer to peer compute network that has on it the first language for peer to peer application and composition. So you can actually do that. You can build peer to peer applications right now, and you can basically it's a de- it's basically decentralized peer to peer compute. And so we think that as a future, to, to your point a little bit, though, that's important for resilience and censorship issues. I don't know if many end end users will care. They just want to use the application that they like, that doesn't go down, and that um, they feel they can trust. And so we think of it more as a, uh, a service, if you will, that consumers will ultimately appreciate because the businesses and applications that build on it Will be more innovative. It's all open source. Applications can be composed and written far easier, and they'll be more resilient, and censorship resistant. So that will just lead to a better user experience. And that no one's going to make an active choice necessarily at the end end user perspective for oh, I want you know Web three, I want you know peer to peer. But it will just be a better experience. I think that's that's the way this works ultimately. Not 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 any other way. I yeah, to- I just have a question.
5: Sorry, Howard. Yeah, I just had a question with like, uh, uh, what Tom is speaking. So basically, I mean, um, do you think it's going to be uh, going to happen in the future that? All this so-called Web3 decentralized service provider will think that okay, the, the users they just want an easy to use product rather than just fully decentralized networks. So they will feed them with their so called you know, decentralized network with like half decentralization, half centralization. And then it's just happened like another round when you know when internet just happened in there right so internet at the beginning is fully decentralized then you have like web 2 giants that's doing all those evil things that feed their customers feed their users with their services and they don't care about if their services is decentralized or centralized so do you think that same thing gonna happen in the web 3 world um or with some other you know different ideas yeah, yeah
1: i mean i think it's happening right now where people think they're using you know, Web3, you know, protocols or Web3 um, applications that actually have centralized backends. I mean, you and it's not through any fault of those companies, but there's a group called Snapshot, terrific. You know, basically there's off-chain voting for DAOs. And yet all the voting happens on a Snapshot central server, right? That's not really yeah. Web3, but then that's yeah. a central point of view. That Those aren't bad guys. They're not misleading anybody. There, it hasn't been before Fluence. There wasn't an application they could use or a service they mm-hmm. could use to do that. So I think it's just infrastructure hasn't evolved yet. To do that but we're getting there doesn't mean and by the way some people will still use centralized backends but my, my point is that decentralization is going to enable a greater range of uses and a better user experience so that the evolution will just pull people that way and that that's what i'm banking on it's not as if people they'll maybe misled into thinking something is decentralized when it's not it's more that the user experience for fully decentralized applications will ultimately be better because they'll be easier to compose and be more creative and more specific and they'll be again more more trusted.
6: Yeah, I think we are, we are the the scenario you portrayed is uh, g- going to happen, where there will be uh, companies that that uh, sort of claim decentralization, etc. But as you know, more and more apps uh, come to light, and more and more innovation happens in this decentralized space, it's going to be harder and harder for that narrative to play out, simply because uh, users are going to want to own their data, right? I mean, that's the one important thing about uh web3 that's super super important and when if you are if you are a siloed centralized app pretending and telling your users decentralized the proof is in the pudding when it comes time for the user to be able to you know move their data easily or actually look at what's happening their reputations on chain etc that kind of falls apart very quickly because it's much harder to do uh, with uh, standard apis and databases you need to communicate with other companies and be able to do all those things whereas it's decentralized that's all Built in, so I think as we get into more innovation in the app space, it will act as a natural sort of uh, uh, filter, if you will, for companies that are pretending to be decentralized but aren't actually decentralized. Yeah, 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 got it. Very cool.
0: cool. Okay. Yeah, please, Howard. um, Sorry. Yeah, so actually, I I agree with you guys. I mean, I mean, user and the user actually they do not care about uh, if the network is decentralized or not. Uh, My, you know, my opinion is that. uh, there are so many decentralized networks projects, right? So I mean, everybody is uh, trying to build a uh, safer, faster, and more decentralized, you know, without the concerns, censorship, you know, the networks, so every, everyone to, to, to be benefited, including the community members. I think this series is very different from, uh, what's the giant, you know, infrastructure players in the Web 2? What are they doing right now? And uh, and also, I mean, uh, you guys say that you wanted to, like, onboard more uh, users to this. So this reminds a very interesting question. So, uh, Phil, I, I got a quick one for you. So I, uh, uh you, you are trying to uh you know to make it easier for everyone to use this uh, uh you know decentralized storage. So how do you do that in um uh, real campaign? How how, how you execute people in there? So I think this probably will be talking to a lot of like the you know uh, normal people they are not playing crypto
2: Yeah, so how do we do that? Well one is the application interface has to be really easy. Um, And, you know, with our drive, right, we're a Dropbox-like sync app. So everyone's familiar with that kind of interface. Um, But that's a big part, right? It's got to be really easy to use. Um, The kind of decentralized slash blockchain technology has to be explained uh, to, you know, these Web2 types of users as well. Figure they're coming in, they don't know what a wallet is or a digital identity or a signature or any of those kinds of things. So... um, you know, what we try to do is not just display that information in an easy to understand way in the apps, but we have, a, you know, a knowledge base, we have a tech 101 course, you know, we have lots of other information that if you are coming to our drive, and this is really your first experience in web three, you can kind of go down the rabbit hole, um, right from the materials that that we start you with. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the last piece, and, you know, we haven't quite cracked this yet, uh, but I was alluding to before is really the, the payment side, right, it has to be easy to pay for these networks. And I think this is also an area where um, maybe it is more of a passive adoption of, of, of Web3, right? Not one has a wallet and cryptocurrency yet. Um, so, you know, maybe there is the need to support some you know fiat currencies as well to kind of bridge that gap or bridge that chasm. So again, if you are someone who's just coming into some new decentralized app and you don't have the wallet or the type of crypto that that you need. Uh, Maybe there, you know, are some ways to pay with fiat, credit cards, things like that, um, to at least get you into the ecosystem, get you educated and understanding of kind of the power of holding your own keys and, uh, uh, you know, cryptographically signing your data versus just using a credit card. Um, So those are some of the things that we're trying to do um, and and focus on on our end. Um, I just wanted to build on on that, you know,
6: we talked about, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so I just wanted to build on that. Uh, you're talking about end users, but uh, before end users can even get to, like obviously, you know, with our drive, et cetera, that's, that's a vertical application they can use directly. But uh, when users want to interact with Web3 using other applications, those applications need to be built. And that's a, a bigger problem right now is because it's really, really hard for developers to build things like smart contracts. They have to learn a new programming paradigm. They have to learn a new language and they have to learn about how to write code that is cost efficient for LINE. So this is a huge problem. Problem And this is the one that uh, we are uh, solving with Decentology, where we've uh, essentially created a model where uh, JavaScript developers, web developers can essentially build Web3 apps by using composability of on-chain contracts. So with the Hyperverse, we have developers who know smart contracts to build Uh, on-chain smart modules kind of like lego blocks and the web developers don't need to learn anything about smart contracts and we feel that that's a way to start unlocking web 3 more for these millions of web devs who are not interested in learning solidity or cadence or rust or go they just want to build apps and i think that's going to also help quite a bit because without apps end users have no business in web 3 they you know they just don't want to keep trading crypto it has got to be more than that
0: well, thanks for sharing, it. And uh, I actually have a question for both of you. Uh, for fifth it's like, uh, I noticed that you are subverting you know, the multi payment model, you know, I mean, for a storage side, right? So How did you achieve this by, uh, in the same time, in solving the cost issue? Because the uh, storage cost is not very cheap, you know, and for a permanent, permanent, uh, you know, level speaking, so it's not cheap at all. So how do how, how you achieve that? You know?
2: Yeah, so this is one of the things that Luckily, we, you know, my my team didn't have to solve for this. Is the magic of you know, the Arweave network and the Arweave protocol on uh, the endowment um, that is managed by the protocol, right? So when you upload data into Arweave, um, you're basically spending a lot upfront for that data. Some of it goes to pay the miners for accepting your transactions, but most of those funds gets locked into this endowment, um, which goes for paying for the cost of storage of you know, your transaction data uh, for 200 years, um, you know, at least that's what the team has kind of worked out in, in their yellow paper. Um, and the protocol governs that endowment so that if miners aren't earning enough from the block rewards, that endowment is released to, yeah, continue to, to pay them for the storage of those uh, those files. Um, and the overall uh, uh, mining algorithm, you know, simple proof of random access is what miners are running to ensure that they continually show that they have access to that data. Um, so that's, that whole incentive mechanism is really what drew me to our weave uh to begin with that kind of uh you know pay one store forever model um so at our drive you know we you know of course we utilize that you just pay to store the files um but it's kind of just in our methodology and in, in our mentality now of yeah we're not going to introduce monthly subscriptions right it's always pay as you go um and yeah the payments on you know, on our drive and on the Arweave network right now also cover for accessing that data and for getting that data indexed. And sure, maybe that changes a little bit down the line. But um, yeah, we, we need to keep this kind of pay-as-you-go um, model because, you know, I really feel that that's uh, something consumers really like more versus, uh, you know, other monthly subscriptions. So
1: well, can I just ask a question? Because you, you obviously know Arweave super well, and I'm a huge fan of, of the um, Am I right that, and this is just goes, sort of ties into other questions I'm making earlier. The data is validated via blockchain, but you but it's actually not stored on chain. Is that am I right about that, or is it actually the data stored on chain as well?
2: Yeah, so the proof you, is
1: stored on chain.
2: Yeah, so the the proofs are stored on chain and. Uh... You know, the transaction headers and things like the the, the data Merkle root of all of the chunks yep. of data that fit into that transaction. Um, but then all the miners or the nodes, you know, they will gossip those transaction headers and those chunks to other nodes. And if, you know, you're participating in mining, you need to prove you have access to not just the transaction headers, but those chunks as well. Um, yep. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, a mix of both. That's why they call it you know, a but, block weave and not a blockchain. Right, so, so,
1: so, but just so I'm clear, you can... And help me out, this is actually just interesting, and if I bore people, then just cut me off. But So you can store the data on a on, – you store data on, on, a, on a normal – on any kind of hard drive, I guess, you but you have to prove via hash, the hashing function, that you effectively have that data, right? Even though the data exactly. itself you – know, you, you basically use blockchain to prove via hashing you've stored it, you have it, it hasn't changed, et cetera. But the data, and that's why we can tell how much data maybe is on weave, right, because of all because, because of the hashing functions, right? But it actually is also stored off-chain. So There's a great combination of on-and-off-chain kind of synergy, right? And using crypto economics to, to, to validate and, and, and provide this very useful service.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a great way to put it. And I think that's how they achieve, um, you know, relatively lower cost for, for storage on weave versus, you know, storing that same amount of bytes on Ethereum or, or Bitcoin, for example.
0: Thank you for coming, yeah, so uh,
2: you know. uh, Phil.
0: Thank you.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to jump in and answer the multi-tenancy question uh, you asked, uh, uh, Howard. So, uh, you know, when we were designing the Hyperverse, uh, my team at Decentology, like this was the biggest challenge we had is how do we, because we are blockchain agnostic, we intend to support every major blockchain. How do we make it possible for developers uh, to create these modular smart contracts that are multi-tenant? Because right now there's a huge inefficiency in the space where everyone is... Even take an ERC-721 NFT contract. People are just duplicating it again and again and again, and that's just wasting resources on the blockchain. That is highly inefficient. And the correct way to do it is to use composable resources. So uh, we we essentially use the appropriate technology on every platform differently. So, for example, on Ethereum-based ones or EVM-based ones, we use uh, what's called a factory pattern. So the application logic stays in the contract, but the data goes into a separate contract. Therefore, every uh, developer app has their own. Uh, individual contract, uh, which is the tenant, uh, if you will, but the, the code is not uh, duplicated. So from an engineering standpoint, uh, you know, uh, we have to solve this problem on Flow, on Algorand, on Solana, and uh, we, we are committed to doing it on every, every chain. But multi-tenancy is, uh, I think, important because that is how we get to uh, composability. And I think composability on blockchain is the big unlock because if you look at it historically, Web2 grew significantly when uh, apis became standardized and mainstream uh, until then people developers struggled you know but even for some simple things like payment then stripe came along and two lines of code and boom you've got payments messaging trilio came along you've got messaging storage AWS etc so composability is super important and that's what we have been working on and the answer is to ensure that all contracts are multi-tenant
0: Yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry i just want to ask a question so yeah so basically that question is for sherlock and maybe for all the speakers here so i know the guys here you have like uh built something like uh maybe decentralized computation decentralized storage and nick is building like a decentralized development uh developing environment for you know especially web2 uh developers uh so my question is i know that sherlock the Mesa network is actually doing uh, things, building things on the decentralized, uh, you know, network or the, I mean, the internet itself. So do you believe that the infrastructure of internet or the communication itself uh, going to be decentralized in the future? And in what level of decentralization will we reach? Uh, from a protocol level, like a TCP IP protocol, or from, let's say, more hardware, you know, infrastructure, you know, cable network, all this kind of stuff. So basically, I'm just imagining, okay, maybe in 50 50 or 100 years later, will the internet itself become decentralized from a, let's say, from an infrastructure level? Yeah, maybe for Sherlock and also, yeah, the rest of all the speakers. Yeah,
4: thanks, Gary. This is a quite good question. So, you know, the first thing is, uh, I don't think the future we need uh, a fully decentralized network for the like the 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 bandwidth or like the uh, internet service provider service, right? So, ISP, uh, ISP. So, you know, when, when we want to uh, realize the the future of decentralization, you need to sacrifice lots of things, right? So the first is yes, efficiency. Uh, to be honest, if you only focus on efficiency, centralized is much more efficient than the decentralization. Yeah, it's true, right? So we can see some cases in the, the the storage uh if you are building a something which want to compete with the aws s3 and if you say you have a much cheaper price than s3 okay right now you can't convince me for now yeah and then in, in my opinion so in the future the, the several things gonna be uh, existing together so we will have some uh centralized bandwidth and or internet or anything else, or like serving the traffic, because uh, we for just if we only focus on the bandwidth part, the future don't need the fully decentralized network, right? So, you need the centralized entity, for example, like AWS, uh, like Google ArcMine, or like Alibaba Cloud, Tencent Cloud, these guys to support for your infrastructure for your telecom, and then to for your internet service. So, you can count on okay, we need these companies to be fully decentralized. So, that's the first. So the second is, uh, if we also notice one very important but very hard problem. I just talked with the, uh, one of the director of the the, the very huge uh, data center owner. Uh, yeah, his company is also listed in the in, uh, in the exchanges, uh, the, the the equity exchanges. He told me, he said, uh, I have sell around sixty to eighty percent of my data center. He built his own data center, but there's still around ten to twenty percent of his resources it is underutilized. And he said, uh, if you look all of his resources all around the world, the 10% distributed everywhere. So he said, OK, I can't find a very good way to like utilize these resources. And then after I introduced, introduced our solutions, he, he noticed, yeah, you, you, let's, let's take a case just like you uh, rent a house. right? So if you want to rent a house, uh, you're the house owner. And when you have uh, the, the last people left your house, and when you find a new one who wants want to uh, rent a house, you have maybe several months this gap. And during that gap, you want to like uh, find anyone who can pay for you to to utilize your resources, your house, right? That, that's the first is the gap problem. The second problem is uh, lots of resources all around the world. You know, in the future, I believe the the resources going to be much more, uh, much more uh, fertilized, and the the supply is much bigger than the demand. So during the case, the, the usage gonna be like um in some specific area. For example, if you if you uh judge in the in the location, you said okay if you live in some very centralized cities, the, the, the top tier or tier one cities, you find okay the, the demand is much bigger than the supply. But if you live in some like tier three or tier four cities or some countries, you find okay, uh there are lots of supplies and they, they are much bigger than the demand. So during that case, can we find a new way to aggregate uh, or utilize these resources? Maybe they're launched or maybe not, right? And if we try to solve this problem, we need we need something else, like decentralized storage or decentralized bandwidth or decentralized computation resources, or, or another thing we call, maybe call the protocol standard, that we can let all around the world the resources to, to join a new thing, maybe call network, to, to serve the users. That's the things, how things working in the POW. You know, when I... Uh, building the meter network. I I, I was designing a system for PoW mining pool. And lots of people will will give the opinion that PoW is just waste lots of resources. But in my opinion, PoW is quite fabulous. He did one thing. He converts the form of energy, right? So the energy will be, or electricity will be a much more easy to understand the case. So if you live in some places and you have very rich resources, like electricity, and after you fulfill your, your local request, the rest of them, how will they do this? You, you will be the resource going to be wasted, right? Because it's very hard to store the electricity. You need to find a very good battery technology to store things. And second, it also have a very high cost to convey the electricity, right? So finally, people, for example, if you live in island and you have lots of uh, resources that come from the sea, you have to waste waste it. But then, how will that become? Okay, if you just run it on like. Bitcoin asic machines or ethereum like graphic machines you use pow okay you change you convert the, the electricity to bitcoin what is bitcoin? what is bitcoin It's currency right so if you have the currencies you can be very easily to incentivize for people who are around for example you live in country or maybe one day uh, someone who uh, launched the the, the the ASIC machines to the moon and someone said okay looks like i can do the pow mining job in the moon and how did it actually come from the sun, right? So doing right now the solar cities and maybe we can build solar cities in the, in the, in the moon and people can use that to build a, a planet to planet cryptocurrency or current system, right? And they are backed by the energy from the sun and right now it's just wasted. So I think in the future, this is how the future comes from is, uh, we needed a very centralized infrastructure because they have very high efficiencies. And also we need something like maybe mission or, or, or some, some solutions like using the protocol to aggregate Resources all around the world, and then they could come together to, to fulfill the request. Yeah, Th- that's my uh, view for the maybe 10 or 20 or 50 years later. Thanks, Ibrahim.
5: Yeah, any other speakers well, want to I share your gonna
1: challenge, a couple elements of that. Um, you know, centralized certainly can have efficiencies, but I think we've seen many examples of where centralization leads to single points of failure. So you've seen Amazon go down, WhatsApp go down. We talked about that earlier on the call. So centralization, while there are certainly efficiencies to do it in, in in some cases, it also leads to a great number of risks that become more and more important the more centralization. Is. And so I think that's why we're – because if that was just the case, we'd just head that way forever. And I don't think that – I think that leads to, to, to real risks that we're only now beginning to see. And so I just want to just make sure we're all clear that – Centralization was so good, Amazon would never go down, and WhatsApp wouldn't go down, and yeah. these network failures wouldn't happen. Yeah, Tom, I agree with you. So you're talking about the,
4: the the go down, or in in our case, we call HA high availability problem, right? So you know it's very hard to measure how how the service can can be available. If like you, you said, yeah, for the past j- just last year, lots of service just go down, right? So. No one can ensure the service gonna exist. And then, for example, if, if we're talking about the storage, and someone said, "Okay, this is permanent storage," I think it's it's not true. So all of the storage is just the possibility or the probability, right? We can we can have a a number like ninety nine point nine 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 percent that the things going gone, gonna exist or stored. But if you have a very big number in, in your data, so small probability gonna finally happen, or it's it's. It's it will not happen, right? So then, finally, everything gonna be uh, every small ability things will, 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 will happen, and we may f- someday lost our data, and we may someday lost the things building in the crypto or in the decentralized storage or in the maybe in the Ethereum. Because if you can't ensure hundred percent, you can't say that in in the long run, in the history or in the future, we, we will not have these things, right? So when, when we start when we try to solve off the uh, engineer problem we actually is doing a trade off i agree that tom said uh we want to have something which can uh, solve the problem of the synchronization like the, the the service go down or, or anything else or the control management anything else but finally we need to find a trade off in different stage like in this stage we think okay if we want to find a very cheap storage or very cheap communication i can find these solutions and then in the next stage if we want to find some
6: like service
4: which we, I, I i like to pay more money to ensure the service to ensure the quality to ensure that i can pass it to my son my grandson to pass it for a thousand years i need to fund the, the crypto world decentralized storage anything else. yeah that's my answer tom
5: yeah, Tom, I know that you are building a decentralized, uh, you know, computation network. So do you, uh, like, uh, were you concerned that the the internet itself or all the, let's say, the trans, uh, transmission of the, the, let's say, the communication of data itself is centralized that will harm the decentralization of your network? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about that. And, and part of the reason is that, more and more computation is gonna be taking place close to data and data is moving further and further out to the edge of the network. And so data need is growing far faster than bandwidth. And so we built, we overbuilt bandwidth, you know, probably a decade ago, and now we're having a much tougher time kind of scaling bandwidth to meet the increase of data, especially as video continues. So I think we continue to see data in big sizes pushed out, computation happen on that data, and then the results of that computation move and travel over the bandwidth. And I'm not really concerned about that, um, about bandwidth providers or issues there because you can't, it's harder to tell. Um, basically there are multiple bandwidth providers you can get in many, many markets. And so I'm not, I don't think that is, is, is that much of a risk. It's could it be at some point in the future? Maybe, but that seems pretty far off versus um, and, and pretty far down the spectrum of ways to exercise control versus the companies that are actually, you know, providing the service of of the computation or the applications.
5: Got it. Got it. Okay, guys. So I think that we already exceed like 25 minutes of our originally booked one hour. So yeah, any last words or last, you know, know, comments you want to share? Uh, for Yeah, so to the listeners or any listeners have any questions, uh, you can raise your hand to, uh, to ask uh, each one of our speakers. Yeah, so we'll begin with speakers. So any comments or any, you know, uh, thing you want to also add or share? Yeah.
6: yeah, I guess I can jump in. You know, I obviously love Web3. Uh, it is uh, a great ethos. I think uh, it represents uh, humanity's stride towards a more egalitarian world. And so I'm, I'm both privileged and excited to be a, a part of it. I think we, as the technologists working on it, have to be uh, realistic and also make sure that we are gently bringing the rest of the world along uh, with us versus, uh, you know, trying to force anything on there. Uh, we have to build bridges, uh, and these bridges have to gently lead people to this uh, Promised land. So uh, I am very, very excited and optimistic about the future, but I'm also pragmatic about it. I don't think it's going to be like an overnight thing or whatever. And we are looking at a long uh, journey here, a decades long uh, journey. But uh, it is going to happen and it is going to unlock uh, the power of the, the network and uh, enable m- millions, even billions of people today who are unbanked and who don't have opportunities to participate in the global economy to and have a fairer, a better quality of life. So I'm super excited about it and and I salute all of uh, the people who are, you know, my peers and others who are working on this to make this egalitarian world happen. Thank you so much for putting the space together, really appreciate being on it.
5: Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Anyone else? Philip? Tom? Sherlock?
2: No, I mean, it's cool speaking with you all. Join our Discord, visit rdrive.io or ar.io for more information. And yeah, happy to speak to anyone about are we even the permanent one.
1: Great to be on for having me. and um... Yeah, great to meet you all, guys. <laughs>
5: All right, thanks, guys, and uh, I think Howard is, yeah, it has some connection issues. So yeah, we'll end it here. And uh, so nice to having you guys together. And thanks so much for the audience. Yeah. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on uh, like Send Next Ventures and Misan Network. And uh, also, if you have any questions, please feel free to let us know about it. We'll be able, be glad to discuss with you guys. Cool. See you, Thank guys.
4: You. And girls. Sorry.
5: Uh, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah that's all right see ya yeah thank you everyone